So Jesus, thank you. We thank you. Your name is powerful. And today, we want to hear from you. Amen? Amen. So speak to us. In Jesus' name. And everyone said, Amen. you can be seated. Thank you. Well, good morning. We finished the uh, book of James last week, and we talked about bring back the wanderers. And if you remember, if you were here with us, I talked about, that's my son. Go get him. That's my daughter. Go get him. We had a funny story happen. Right after the 830, um, a lady from our church went over to a friend's house and said, hey, um, God brought you to mind, and I wanted to invite you to come to church with me. And the woman said, well, I've actually been praying. I've actually been asking God you know, where I should go. 15 minutes later, another lady from our church comes over and says, hey, you know what? Um, God brought you to mind, and I want to know if you'll go to church with us. And she goes, okay, what's going on? She goes, well, you know, Daniel spoke about um, inviting people. And while they're there, and it's during the 10 o'clock service, while they're all there talking, she gets a text from another lady, and it said, hey, I want to invite you to church with me. And she goes, let me guess. You're at the orchard and heard Daniel's sermon. And so... Some of you are really going out there and you are absolutely stepping into these challenges that we've given of inviting and, and asking people to come in and join us in this redemptive life that God has for us. And today we're talking about something very close to the heart of God. You see, God's heart longs for those who don't yet know him to come close in salvation. In Ezekiel, God declares this, I will seek the lost. Jesus says himself, I have come to seek and save the lost. This is the heartbeat of God. This is the heartbeat of Jesus. Second Peter 3, Peter is talking about God and why he is not bringing the end. And he says this, God isn't late with his promise as some would measure lateness. Instead, he's patient with us. He's holding back the end because he doesn't want anyone lost. He doesn't want any to perish but wants everyone to come to repentance. You see, God's heart is love. And in love, he calls people to him for salvation. God's heart is love. And love doesn't force itself on someone. Listen, God could snap his fingers now and every person would bow down and declare Jesus. But that would not be love. Like he says in Peter, he's patient, waiting for those to come to him. For salvation, redemption, and repentance. The heart of God is calling people to him. And last week we asked the question, do I have God's heart for people? People far from him. You see, in our lives, each of us know people who are anywhere on the spectrum of indifferent to God or completely against God. And the question is, you know, Orchard, we claim to be a church that loves God and loves people. All people know asterisks. Do we live that out? Do we love everyone, those far, those anti, those everything? God didn't put qualifiers on love God, love people. So this week, it's Palm Sunday. It's the week before we celebrate the resurrection. And today we're gonna to talk about the gospel. Oftentimes, you talk about the gospel on Easter. We're talking about it the week before Easter. Now, gospel. When we say gospel, you can put some oomph with it. You can hit a pound a desk with it. You've heard gospel, oftentimes it comes with a southern accent. You guys know what gospel means? Really simple. We've talked about this. It means good news. Gospel means good news. It's as simple as that. And in our world, following Jesus, the gospel is the good news of God. And this verse in Romans 1.16 highlights it. Paul says, I'm not ashamed of the gospel, for the gospel is the power of God for salvation to everyone who believes. To everyone who believes. 
Orchard, today's message is undeniably a message for those of us who call the Orchard home. And if you're a guest or checking it out, you're not, I invite you into what we're gonna do today. Because we're gonna, we're, gonna, we're gonna challenge ourselves to, to be the kind of people who love God, love people, and go forth and speak and invite into life. You see, because Easter is important, and Charlie spoke a little about it already. Culturally, Easter is a time when people come in far greater numbers. We expect hundreds and hundreds of guests next week. And so I want to give a little direction for us going in to next week. First of all, Orchard, come early. Now, guests don't arrive five to ten minutes late, stumble in and get their coffee, bleary-eyed, like a lot of you, not you, I'm sure it's the 8.30 service. You guys are always on time. None of you are walking in late with a coffee because here's what's going to happen. Next week, they're going to get here on time and the lights are going to be dim and you're going to be looking around and, and it's going to be chaos in here. So we would ask, first of all, that next week you come early. We would ask, second of all, that you park far. For those of you who are able to walk and don't mind a little bit of a walk, let's leave the closest spots for those who, who need them or, and for our guests. Come early, park far, and, and finally, Orchard, say Hi. You know, we are who we are. We're a fun church. We say it's all relational. It's all relational in here too. And so when you're here, say hi. Be welcoming. Come early, park far, say hi. And listen, we are expecting this 10 o'clock service to be packed with a lot of guests. And so we're gonna ask something. If, if the orchard is a place that you call home, it's a place that you often come, we're gonna ask that you, for one week, I know, would come to the 8.30 service. Some of you are like, nope. 8.30 what on a Sunday? Now, you don't have to. I get it. And, and, and a lot of you families are like, have you, it's like launching a shuttle to get my family out of the house. Listen, we would rather you show up at 10 a.m. with smiles than at 8.30 a.m. with like tears and scars and blood. So we understand these things. But for those of you able, we're going to ask you to step into this challenge to make room for people in our communities who will be here next week. Bottom line, next week it's all hands on deck. Easter's important. It's, it's, it's the time of year when God can, can capture somebody. Just last year during Easter, a year ago this next week, we had a gentleman who came to his first service here at the orchard and he was captured by the spirit and the music and the message and he kept coming. And then he invited his spouse and then eventually he brought his, his, his daughters and his sons and his family and now they're a part of our family. And they're on this road, this path of redemption, this, this journey. And so you never know what God's gonna do. And so next week is a big week for us and it's a big week for all of us. And, and beyond these instructions, we should probably have a sermon. I know you guys are just clamoring for a sermon this morning, aren't you? All right, Daniel, we get it, but please, preach to me. Preach to me. Okay, okay. okay. Well, just let me start with some facts about Easter, okay? Easter is what our culture calls it, but it's actually a Hebrew holiday for Passover. And Passover was celebrated for centuries, sacrificing the Passover lamb. And Jesus, on the Passover, was crucified at 9 a.m., and he died that afternoon on Friday at 3 p.m. We know that from the scriptures. And then he was buried in the tomb that afternoon. And I just want to answer a quick question that I've been hearing more and more about from some people. And they say, the Bible says over and over, and Jesus says over and over, I'm going to be in the grave for three days. But he died on Friday, and then he was dead for Saturday, and then Sunday. And I don't understand. And so I just want to put this to bed really quick because it's really easy. See, in the Hebrew context, which, by the way, that's what this book was written in, they marked their days different than we do. They marked their days based on Genesis 1 that said, over and over it says, there was evening and there was morning the first day. 
All throughout this creation um, story, it says there was evening and morning. The second day, evening and morning. The third day, you see, they began to mark the beginning of their day after sunset. Sunset was the transition of the days. And so after sunset, it's a new day, that evening. Isn't this so foreign to us? Yes. In the Hebrew context, this, this is how it was. And so Jesus died on Friday afternoon, put in the grave. And then sunset came. Saturday, that's Saturday morning, that's when Saturday begins. So we have two days, Friday, and he's in the grave Saturday, all night, all the next day, and then the evening comes again, and that evening for them would be Sunday. Three days, he's rose, if he came on Monday, it would have been very confusing to those who, know, to, to who wrote the Bible. And so Jesus was in the ground in the grave for three days, and for us in the Western culture, I know you can count those off, but it's very, very clear. Jesus died, resurrected, rose again. He rose on Sunday, and I just want to tell you, when he rose on Sunday, good news rose with him. The gospel came to life. The good news is good news, and what happens when you get good news? Do you want to bottle it up? and You want to share it. You want to tell people. And the good news of Jesus is actually, if we're honest, it's the greatest news. You see, the gospel offers us what we could never, ever earn on our own. The gospel forgives us in a way that that we can never be washed and cleansed on our own. The gospel redeems us in a way and inside and in a way we can never be restored and redeemed without God. The gospel saves our soul in a way we never could on our own and the gospel calls us to an eternal home that we could never attain by our own power. The gospel of God is great news and some of us need to be reminded because you see, we went from death to life and we forget that the gospel is good news because we get so familiar with it. Yeah, yeah, Jesus came at Christmas as a baby and he died here. And when we get it, it becomes marginal news. But the gospel is the greatest news on the earth. The gospel is the greatest news of all time. That Jesus, because God loved us so much in our sin, he sent Jesus who lived, died, and was resurrected and invites each of us into a relationship with him. That gives us not just, not just heaven someday, it gives us forgiveness in our past. It gives us peace and purpose in our present and hope for the future. Not just hope for the someday future, hope for tomorrow. The offer of Jesus, the gospel of Jesus is the greatest news. And the thing about good news, we should share it. You share good news. In fact, the last commandment Jesus gives us when he leaves the earth is go into all the world and share the story of me, and call people to follow me. But when it comes to sharing good news of Jesus, when it comes to sharing what we know, we get scared, don't we? You ever had that moment where you you try to tell somebody, and nah. Listen to this story from from Leighton Ford, an old evangelist. He said, I was speaking at an open-air crusade in Halifax, Nova Scotia. He's an evangelist, and he was was speaking there, and he said, Billy Graham was going to speak the next night. He was the opening act. He said, Billy Graham showed up early and he sat in the very back on the lawn. He dressed incognito, glasses, a hat, and he's just sitting back there just praying. And it says when, when Leighton gets to the end of his, his sermon and he begins to say, if you want Jesus, come down front and give your life to Jesus. You know, Billy Graham was watching this gentleman in front of him and, and he noticed that he was just very focused. And, and Billy Graham thought, I'm going to do a little personal evangelism. So Billy Graham puts his hand on this man's shoulder and said, hey, if you want to walk down there, I'll walk all the way with you. I'll go with you down front. 
And the man looks back at Billy Graham. Says, nah, I'm going to wait for tomorrow when the big gun comes out. <laughs> you see, oftentimes we want to leave, leave the sharing, leave the, the speaking, leave it all the big guns. I would love to go speak, Daniel, but I don't know what to say, I don't know how to say, I don't know any of that. I'm just going to leave it for you. Well, there are people that don't want to hear from me and that I'll never meet, that Charlie will never meet, that you know in your life. And so God's calling each of us to go out there and to speak, to invite. Now, I want to give you some statistics because that always just drives home a good sermon. See, they surveyed people who don't attend church and 82% of them said they would attend if they had a, a personal invite. You see, people don't come for beautiful buildings or um, continental breakfasts or even church programs. But 82% said if they had a personal invite, they would respond favorably. 82%. Now keep that statistic in your mind because there's another one. Guess the percentage of Jesus followers who invited someone to join them at church in the last calendar year. Just think, what do you think the answer would be? Get the answer in your head. The percent of people who invited someone to come with them over the past calendar year is 4%. 4%. So, so 82% said, if I got a personal invite, I, I would respond favorably. And 4% of us are out there actually inviting. Orchard, these are staggering stats, but I know that we are the kind of church that consistently in our boldness and in our yes overcomes these type of things. And so with that today, I want to look at an obscure Old Testament story, deep in the, in the bowels of the Old Testament. In 2 Kings 6 and 7, it's one of my favorite stories when it comes to these statistics and the good news. Um, it's, it, the 2 Kings is a book of history, and so we're, we're finding this account of, um, of these kings, and it starts off in verse 24 of chapter 6. Sometime later, Ben-Hadad, king of Aram, mobilized his entire army and marched up and laid siege to Samaria. Samaria is the capital of Israel, God's people. It's the capital of the northern kingdom. So God's people are surrounded by King Hadad. Now siege combat, siege combat is not something that we know much about in these days. You see, if you were to invade, in case you were wondering, if you ever want to invade a walled city, here's what you would do. See, you would have to scale the wall or somehow breach it and that comes at great cost to the invading army. So what they would do is, to, to save lives, they would just camp all the way around it, cut off every supply, and wait. Just sit. In fact, the Latin word siege means to sit. They would just sit. And the invading army would have fresh imports coming every day, all they needed. But inside, it was not so well. Inside, if they, if they didn't have water, the siege would last days. If they had water, then it was an issue of food. And they would begin eating anything and everything. And I actually read some historical, other historical accounts of all these things. And it is just, it is a messy way to do war. In fact, in our culture today, it's so messy that this type of siege we're going to read about is illegal internationally because of how it affects citizens. The king, of, the king of Aram attacked the northern kingdom of Israel and laid siege, surrounds it cut off the food, cut off the essentials. The next verse says, there's a great famine in the city and the siege lasted so long a donkey's head sold for 80 shekels of silver. Choice cuts of meat right there. Now, what they're saying is they've eaten everything. They're buying a donkey's head for food. But, but what about those who can't afford it? What about those? It gets much worse. You'll see here. As the king of Israel was passing on the wall, a woman cried and said, help me, my lord, my king, help me. Now I'm gonna temper this next part because I don't, 
often know who or how old is listening. Um, but the woman goes on to tell them, in her desperation, you have to understand, in the famine that they were in, desperation makes people do things they never would do otherwise. And the woman goes on to tell the king how she was so famished and she was watching her children suffer that they ended one of their children to ease their hunger. They've eaten all the leather, all the grass, all the wood, all the animal, everything. And in their desperation, they did things. This is horrifying, but it's clarifying. It shows the level of desperation that these people are in. No people, no parents should ever be forced to make these decisions. We have Ben-Hadad, the king, surrounding Samaria. We have Samaria, God's people, surrounded, besieged, and we can see they are desperate. In chapter 7, we meet four more characters. Chapter 7, verse 3. Now, there were four men with leprosy at the entrance of the city gate. Remember, if you had leprosy in this day and age, you were not only stricken physically, you're stricken socially. You have to yell unclean. You can't go in the city. You can't be a part of normal life. These lepers' whole life was under siege. And here they are. They're outside the city gate because they can't go in. They're stuck between an attacking army and a starving city. And they say this. There were four men, at the, four men with leprosy at the entrance of the city gate, and they said to each other, why should we stay here until we die? I mean, if we go in the city, the famine's there, and we will die slowly, painfully. If we stay here at the gate, we'll die slowly. So why don't we go to the camp of the enemy and just surrender? Because if they spare us, we'll get food and we'll live. But if they kill us, hey, at least it'll be a quick death. Again, desperation. You do things you would never do otherwise. So these desperate men say, let's go out to the, let's go out to the army. At least we'll die swiftly. Maybe we'll get a meal. Verse five, at dusk, they got up and went to the camp of the Ramians. Now, this is so strange. They begin to walk toward this army encampment. They can see some of the tents. And as they get closer, the first thing they notice is they hear no sounds of the enemy army. They hear no laughter, no yelling, no clanging of the anvil, nothing. They see cook fires. They see the tents. They see animals milling about, but they don't see people, not even guards. And as they get closer... There's no one there. No one in this surrounding army. It's deserted. Now what they don't know is that God had caused this army to flee, leaving everything there. It says in verse 10, they entered the first tent and they ate and drank. Can you imagine these four guys? They're just eating and drinking and they're eating better than the king himself. They're eating better than the royalty inside the city. These men, they get stuffed. They're satisfied. They're probably overstuffed. They've found life. These guys have found salvation that others need. And then they make a decision. After they had eaten their fill, they took silver and gold and clothes and they went off and hid them. They loaded up the best stuff they could find in this tent. The first tent they got to, they, they start grabbing stuff. They load it up and they go to a cave that they know of and they hide it. And it says they returned and entered another tent and so took some things from there and went there also. These lepers have an entire circle of tents to go plunder and they're just taking all these things. They can't eat anymore at this point. They can't carry anymore. They're hiding all the treasure they have found. A city is starving over the hill. The city is eating itself. 
while desperate people over there are making desperate decisions, these men are hiding the salvation that they have found. In verse 9, they come to their senses and they say to each other, what we're doing is not right. This is a day of, of what? It's a day of good news. This is a day of good news. This is a day of gospel. This is a day of salvation, of redemption. I can see them just stopping in their tracks because they know, they know what's happening inside the city. They remember their condition just six hours previously. They remember what it's like. They come to their senses. What we're doing is not right. This is a day of good news and we are keeping it to ourselves. You see, what these men should have done as soon as they found the camp empty and had something to eat, they should have run back to the city and said, stop, stop, we found life. Don't, don't do anything else. Follow me. Follow us. We know where to go. We know where, we know where life is. Follow me. I'll show you. I'll take you right there. But they didn't. They hid it. They hoarded it. Orchard, our world is desperate. It truly is. Anytime a person tries to find their worth and their identity in something temporary of this world instead of something eternal and divine, at some point desperation will follow. You see, in Jesus we have eternal and supernatural purpose. Apart from Jesus, we have temporary, temporal purpose. Bottom line, our soul has an unlimited need and we need an unlimited resource. And all the world can offer us is finite and fleeting. Desperation leads us to do things we would never do otherwise. And this world is desperate Oftentimes the human soul is desperate, asking questions, trying to find answers in any number of way they can. And the good news of Jesus is that he has a glorious divine calling, an eternal calling. And he comes and gives us peace and forgiveness and purpose and power. And at some point, many of us have heard the gospel, the good news, and, and some of us, we made a decision to follow him. It could have been yesterday, it could have been 40 years ago. But, but we found life, we, we found salvation, we found redemption, we found the salvation, and when we followed it, we found that there's riches that comes with the gospel. Now, I'm not talking about money, I'm talking about spiritual riches of a wealth of priceless virtues, an unlimited resource of peace. We found a greater capacity to love. When we found Jesus, we found that we can forgive the unforgivable because we have been forgiven we find that we have access to love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control in a far greater way. We find freedom from a haunted past. We find hope in a bright future. We find eternal life. And with the gospel comes the riches of virtues that are priceless. And what did many of us do with this? Me included? We like it. We gorged ourselves. We loaded it up and then we hid it. We hid what we had found. We went on with our lives as if the treasure trove didn't exist. We found life and we didn't want to cause any waves out there so we, we put it away when we go out to a world that's desperate. And like the lepers, oftentimes I find that I make multiple trips 
Every Sunday I, I go back and I feast on the joy and the celebration. Every week I go to the growth group and I, I feast on authenticity and community. But then return to my life and I, I hide it and I hoard it from the very people that need it the most. In 2 Kings we find the account of four people who take life back to those who need it most. And the hopeless people in that city were saved. They were transformed. Their families transformed, set free. And we, like them, can take life and freedom out of these walls. Because at some point, the hope is that people don't have to make decisions out of desperation. They make decisions out of salvation. And so we take that hope with us. That we don't have to make decisions out of desperation anymore. Are we hiding it? Are you hiding it? Am I hiding it? Are we afraid to be known as people who found life? When it comes to these stats that say 4% of people have invited somebody in the past year, I want to challenge us, Orchard, to step into this and break this mold. And for those of, you, for those of us here at the Orchard, we have one week until Easter, and I would encourage you, man, invite everybody. We're going to speak on Easter about the hope of Jesus that no matter how dark it is, no matter what situation or circumstance you're in that is dark, the king has one more move and God can do anything, anything. It's a message of hope. We want to step out and speak out. And this week, I would challenge you guys. We have, these, we have these cards here. They're just a tool. There's nothing special about them. They're just easy invite cards. Use them if you want. We have extras if you want. But Orchard, God has given us a divine privilege He's given us a divine responsibility. He's, he's entrusted with us with a mission to take to the world. He's entrusted with us. We've found something of great worth. It's called good news for a reason, that we would take this good news. You know, we claim to be a people who love God and love people. And my prayer is that we would, we would love people enough to speak life, to, to show them life to live life in front of them and then to invite them to life. Listen to Paul's words as I, as I finish this. He says this, your old life is gone. The new life is here. Look at it. And all this comes from God who, who settled the relationship between us and him. And then he calls us to settle our relationships with each other. God put the world right with himself through the Messiah, Jesus Christ. He gave the world a fresh start by offering forgiveness of sins. And God has given us the task of telling everyone what he's doing, bringing redemption. We are Christ's representatives and God uses us to tell people to drop their differences and enter into God's ways of making things right. We are speaking for Christ himself. Orchard, my prayer is this, that we would have a heart for those. We'd be bold. And we would just say, come with me. Just come with me. Come, I want to invite you. You know, as we go into communion and the symbols of Jesus' body and Jesus' blood, if you're new to the orchard, we don't have any class you have to take to take communion. Jesus himself said in scripture, you can do this in remembrance of me. So that qualifies you if you would like to do this. But as you, as you maybe come and grab this and sit down, I want you to remember that we are a week from Easter. Jesus was, was crucified. His body split. 
hung on the tree, motivated by love for people far from him. And that was you. And that we should be motivated by love just the same way he is because it came at a great cost to him. So Orchard, as you, as you get the symbols of redemption and, and sit down and pray and thank Jesus for all he's done. Thank him for the redemption that you've found. Thank him for the salvation you've found. And let's begin to pray that God would move mightily. Listen, this is not about having a big service or a big church. This is about having a big God who wants all people, everybody. Let's pray. Jesus, thank you so much for your sacrifice. I pray you would help us to be a courageous church. Jesus, I pray that you would bring to mind right now those of us, we have people in our lives that, that, that truly need you. Father, bless the orchard. May we be people who say yes. Hear our prayers. In Jesus' name, amen.